Good morning, everybody. James 5, verses 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the worker, workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Hello, my name's Paul, <laughs> if you don't know me. And if you do, then you knew that. Um, I'm carrying on with this series we've been working through with James. And um, I've really enjoyed this series up until it was my turn. <laughs> because there's some tough stuff going on in a lot of it. And um, you know, sometimes you, when you read something and when you really start to delve into something, you start to realise, oh, oh. <laughs> and you have to put your hand up to God. This was no different. Um, so there, that's my little journey I've had on it. I'm going to try and carry on with it as I see it. And maybe that will make you think in similar terms. Maybe not. My job is not to beat you over the head with it. But if anyone's followed the rest of the series, there's some tough stuff going on. <laughs> okay, so... I've got chapter 5. Now, if you know at the end of chapter 4, James is addressing some people who are going off to do business, and he's uh, saying that they, uh, you know, how can they claim to do this and do that? They can't even guarantee tomorrow. And then that goes straight on into five of these people with the passage we've just heard. And um, I guess assuming that those people in chapter 4 did what they did, they were successful in it. And they get to this point where they've, uh, well, they've been making money. Um, maybe not in a good way. Now, uh, sorry, I just find where I am. <laughs> so the problem is not because they were successful. They were successful, they did make money, but that wasn't the issue. It was what they did to get the money. Because... Uh, they had a bad attitude in the way of their dealings. They, uh, their attitude was bad in a way of not just having it, but in the way they had to keeping it, to getting more of it, to the point that they had more than their fair share, as the community kids talked about, and to the point of dishonesty. There are no restrictions on becoming successful or having wealth. Let's get that out. But our attitude towards these things is where it can fall down. So James kicks off with this warning. Now look here, you rich people. Now I don't know how you feel about hearing that. I suspect a lot of you were probably like, phew, well, that's me off the hook today because I ain't got two brass apnees to rub together. But possibly, maybe not. Uh, a, a brief Google search reviewed some stats. That, uh, where is it? I wrote it in incredibly small print, sorry. Uh, yeah, over a million 
people, billion people live on under a dollar a day in the world. Um, 10% of the world's population live on under $2 a day. So maybe, comparatively, at least to somebody, we might appear rich. Anyway, James goes on and we hear it. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Wow. Those are some pretty harsh words that he speaks. And they can make us feel pretty uncomfortable, especially since I kind of just lumped you all in with it a little bit. (laughs) But in order for us to gain some context, we're going to look at an example from the Bible of someone who had wealth. There are a number of people in the Bible who had great wealth and some who were just pretty well off. Any guesses for who we're going to go with? Who? Solomon. I knew people would say Solomon. No. Job. Of Job, it says um, that he had great wealth. It stated that he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen. I have no idea how many oxen are in a team. Um, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. I guess there's a lot of cleaning up to do with that many animals. (laughs) He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. But of Job, it also said, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And those were God's words about him. And then... We also read that after Job's trials, and that's a whole other story, it says that the Lord made him more prosperous again so that he had double that which he started with before. Clearly, God didn't have a problem with the wealth, so the clue lies possibly in what God did say about him, his being blameless, God-fearing, and shunning evil. Contrast this with the rich and wealthy that James is addressing we start to reveal the difference in attitudes that allow one wealthy person to be right with God, living for and relying on God, and another to be selfish, dishonest, relying on their wealth, and essentially on themselves. The problem is not the wealth, it's the attitude. So, are we upright with our dealings? Or are we in danger of living for ourselves? The dictionary describes being upright as being strictly honourable or honest and honourable. And honourable speaks to the intention of a person. Now, our intention to gain some money is often a perfectly legitimate thing to do. If you need a car, you're going to have to save for it. If you're going to live somewhere, be that renting or buying, you're still going to need a deposit you're going to have to save for it. Perhaps you start a business, and beyond all your wildest hopes, it does amazing. Does that suddenly become a bad thing just because you spotted a gap in the market? Of course not. So long as your business deals are honourable and upright, the people James is addressing here would seem to be far from that. In fact, their intentions would seem to be to gather wealth at all costs. First four draws that out. 
Look at the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields. They're crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty. But we do much better than that, right? We're upright, surely. We don't withhold money from others we owe, do we? It's easy to say we don't do that. We don't withhold from the poor. But since this is more about an attitude to wealth rather than just money, are we truly upright? For instance... Do we let the cashier know they undercharged us? They just failed to scan one little cheap tin of beans, but we spent nearly £200 on shopping, you know. Does it matter? Tesco's can afford it, right? Do we pay our contractors on time? Do we make them wait, keeping the money in our account just that little bit longer? After all, the interest's better in our account than theirs, right? They can have it another month or two down the line. The concept's laid out. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 24, it says, Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. And then it goes on, Pay their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and counting on it. Otherwise, the Lord, uh, sorry, they may cry out against you and the Lord to the Lord, and you will be guilty of sin. Now, of course, it doesn't mean you have to pay every day, but there will be an agreed time. We should try to keep to that. The warning here is if we are an upright people, we need to be aware of a cause and effect of our actions. The decisions we make today will cause a succession of events to unfold. If we want to avoid the dangers of just living for now, we need to consider that ripple effect of our decisions. Will they cause others to suffer a negative outcome? Purely so we can have more of something? The people that James were addressing certainly weren't upright. They were living for themselves and were going to reap the reward for what they were doing. And James doesn't pull any punches when he says they have fattened themselves for the day of slaughter. So then, what about the blameless aspect? Job was... They clearly weren't in James. Since Jesus now was the only person to live who never sinned, then the blameless here points to more than mere actions, but again more to an attitude. Job lived at a time most likely of the patriarchs. This would have been before the written law and before the priests, as he was making animal sacrifices himself and pre- rather than presenting them to the priest to make on his behalf. And that was okay. He was considered a good person. If you were to compare that with what is done in Samuel when Saul did it, that was not a good thing. (laughs) We read, Job feared God and was blameless even in his great wealth because he was conscious to live in a way to seek God's approval, not because he never did anything wrong. Even to the point where he was intercessing for his family and making sacrifices for his family just in case they'd done something wrong. That shows again an attitude that he was more focused on just trying to please God. Contrasted again with what was being said about uh, the people James is addressing, those people had great wealth, yet they were deliberately withholding money to the very poorest in their society. Their hired hands and the labourers working in their fields. People who would have only earned enough each day to feed their families 
hiring themselves out for what they could find in, in work that day, and it would have been hard work at that. It'd be easy to look at these people and say, well, how evil is that? And we'd be right, you know, to withhold from somebody in need. Thank goodness we're not like them. I'm guilty. <laughs> I stand before you a condemned man. Let me explain in a minute. Whilst the people of James mentions probably did what they did on purpose, the root of their actions was a selfish attitude. And the sad fact here is often... I have a selfish attitude too. I do. Now, I don't have great wealth. Um, certainly not like the people James is addressing. But I am guilty of withholding something that I could well afford to somebody in far greater need than myself because, frankly, at the time, I couldn't be bothered. Shock and gasps. <laughs> Allow me to explain. It happened quite recently, is the story. Um, I was in town and I was having a good day and I was nailing it that day because I saw someone who was homeless sat on the side of the street and without thinking about it I just went over hello you know can I help you how's things do you need anything he says yeah I'd like a coffee and a croissant yeah no problem I'll go and get you one off I trundled to the baker's have a croissant no we haven't got any croissants today I'm afraid we normally have them but dot 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 whatever the reason was oh okay so trundled off walked past him just one minute one minute off to the next shop <laughs> went in there yeah you got any croissants no I haven't got any so where else sells croissants maybe Greg's go past them again one minute <laughs> looking quite comical now up to the end get to Greg's no they didn't have any what's going on in town today? I was like, Waitrose. Waitrose will have croissants. So as I come down the arcade, and as it slowly comes into view, I see that they're still operating social distancing measures. And there's a guy at the side letting them in one by one, and a queue going right across the front of the store. Oh, just wanted a croissant. Anyway, I dutifully do what needs to be done. Deliver his coffee and croissant. Wish him well. Be warm and filled or something, maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, Anyway, I move on. And uh, that was that. I didn't think much more of it. Carried on with my day. Only a week later, I'm going through town. And I see someone who's uh, homeless. So again, sat in a doorway. I didn't stop. I didn't, it wasn't because I didn't have the money. It wasn't because I was in a hurry and I had somewhere and I just couldn't stop. I didn't stop because my, because my attitude wasn't any different from those in James. I was living for myself at the expense of another because I just didn't want to put myself out with the ringing of what had happened before. I just, oh, not today. And I carried on. Um, and that is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Because living for ourselves isn't about money at all. It's all about our attitude. And in the moment, it has real-life consequences. I don't exactly know what the consequences were for that day, but if someone in town wasn't doing better than me, certainly somebody went hungry. And that's where the next example from Job kicks in. Shunning evil. Because when we live for ourselves, 
evil is what we end up doing, even if it's not intentional. Be it if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin, as it's mentioned in James 4. Or be it gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, as spelled out in Ephesians. Or endless other scenarios that we could quote. And if we are honest, we are probably all guilty of at some point in our lives. I don't bring things up to beat people over the head with them or to make people feel guilty. And as for my own shortcoming, I've given it to God. It's forgiven. It's done. The point of this is not to bring up a list of things we must do, like a list of do-gooder chores we must perform. A faith is a living faith, and we are all at different points in that faith. Let's not ever fall into a trap of feeling we are better or worse by comparing to one another. But if we are to be a people who don't fall into the trap of living uh, living for now, we need to be honest with ourselves. Keeping the attitude that Job did isn't a bad first step. I want to uh, bring up a few verses that speak into the uh, uh, into this, and they kind of work as stepping stones in my mind, anyway, to a core truth of what we as believers should embrace to keep us from living for ourselves. In um, Colossians three, it says, "Whatever you do." Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. If we apply this to ourselves and we consider ourselves a slave to Christ, then we won't attempt to be our own masters and serve our own desire. Maybe in Romans we could say, and it says, so, do, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I love that, but let God transform you. It's, uh, it's not something we necessarily have to work at. It's an attitude that we can change just by coming to him. They're great words and easy to say, but they do sometimes also, also take a degree of application and self-motivation. As I've proved on a bad day, they can become far from the forefront of our minds. Um, and since I've spoken to it being an attitude and not a set of rules... And the final and most important description of Job by God is the final point that underpins all we have looked at and is the key to our entire faith, if we're honest, as we either living for God or living for ourselves. Of Job, it says, he feared God. What does it mean to fear God? What should that mean to us? Well, firstly, fearing God has different meanings, probably, if you're a believer or an unbeliever. An unbeliever should fear God as he's rejecting the way that God has made for him to be forgiven. And and so he faces judgment without hope of forgiveness 
that Jesus provides to those who would accept it and as a result faces eternal punishment. For believers and those whom James is addressing, and that's the hard thing to remember, these people are believers. Um, They should have a different meaning and application. Another stepping stone. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful to please God by worshipping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire from Hebrews 12. Worship him with holy fear and awe. If we are thinking, uh, sorry, if we are thankful to God for what we have, we should use what we have to praise him with it. If every good gift comes from God, we truly recognize God as God, then this can only impact everything we do. Now, yes, we can be a friend with God also, but I'm also a friend with my boss at work. But I recognize that he is my superior. I am there to do as he requires. So in a work situation, and if I don't do it, then the truth will be I'll be out on my ear. Now, thankfully, God is much much more than my boss. <laughs> I'm certainly much more forgiving, else I'd have been out on my ear at week one month coming to him. <laughs> However, let's not let or allow God's endless forgiveness to bring us to a point where we don't fear him as our master, as the one we should be performing for. Now, today's title was The Dangers of Living for Now. But we are all living now. We have to make our decisions now. If we are to avoid the dangers of living for now, then we need to change the what we are living for now into a who are we living for now. Because if we are living for anything else, then we are living for ourselves by default. And then so finally, my kind of landing pad from my stepping stones, Psalm 34, we'll start in verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. And then it says, come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's the key to it all, I think. We have this invitation to come to God and to find our joy in him. It says we are to fear the Lord, you his godly people. This is us. Those in James are believers, else James wouldn't have been addressing them, yet their actions and attitudes show that they didn't have the fear of the Lord. In fact, the only way to get the fear of the Lord is by coming to him. Not just as a one-off, I'm a believer now, but a continued coming to him. It, It says, come to me, listen to me, you children. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He's going to teach us. We just need to come to him. If 
we wish to avoid the dangers of living for ourselves, then what better way than just coming to God with our wants and desires? We need to come to him as children. This is the key as it stops us trying to do it all for ourselves in our own strength. In fact, we maybe literally need to be like children. What do I mean? A little child doesn't struggle and strive to do stuff themselves. If they're hungry, they ask, Daddy, Mummy, want me lunch? If, they, if you're out and they want to see over something, perhaps you've gone to the zoo and they've got a little barrier, they just go, pick me up! <laughs> they're totally reliant. Even if they want to buy something with a little bit of pocket money and they maybe don't have enough money for it, the mother or their father will say, well, we need to put a little bit back each week and then you can save for it and you can buy it. What a great picture because then the father is not only providing what's needed, but he's also teaching how to use it. And it's the same with coming to God and learning the fear of the Lord. We need to be taught like little children all our needs are given by God and can be directed by God so that we don't just seize the reins and attempt to become great in ourselves. That's where danger slips in. We must remember that the fear of the Lord and our place in his kingdom to have total reliance on the Father. It's no wonder that Jesus, when he was asked by his disciples who was the greatest in the kingdom, grabbed children and pointed to a child. The people in James were trying to be great, but in the way they were going about it, ended up becoming the exact opposite of what they were attempting to be. We know the dangers of doing things on our own strength, yet if you are like me, you will find that you will sometimes fall into that trap. We do. And... uh, Maybe the idea of thinking about it in terms of the fear of the Lord is the first time you've thought about it in that way. And certainly the starting point of weep and well, you rich people, seems a long way off now. (laughs) We've been through these stepping stones. But this is all about an underlying attitude of living for ourselves. And whilst living for ourselves can infiltrate so many areas of our lives, albeit unintentionally, The great news is that coming to God to learn and be taught the fear of the Lord can equally penetrate every area of our lives. It will stop us from greed and self-centeredness and it will protect us from the consequences of living for ourselves as we will then be living with him in all that we do. Should we just pray and just say... Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you just want us to come to you. Although we try to do things ourselves, Lord, you just say, come to me and I will teach you. And Lord, my prayer is that I can remember that every day in all situations, that before anything I do, I just whisper to you, Lord, I'm here, I'm coming to you, teach me, so that I'm I I fell to fall into these traps. 
And I just give thanks, Lord, that I know you are there with me. Amen. Well, I have to say, you all look like you're enjoying that last song, albeit in a fairly English-reserved sort of way. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be an interesting mix, isn't it, when we all get to heaven and we all worship God in our own particular ways. Um, I would reiterate what Claire said. I don't need to tell you that the children's ministry is a hugely important part of our um, church ministry portfolio. It's a team that needs our prayer and support and also needs expanding. So if you feel that God is uh, challenging you and calling you perhaps to work with the children, why not talk to Claire or one of the team or one of the leadership team and we can explore that with you. We sang in the service that lovely song by uh, Bill and Gloria Gaifer, um, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. And as I was thinking, uh, we were singing the last, uh, hit, the last verse of that. It says, one day I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory. As John has already alluded to in his prayers uh, on uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, um, Robin Atwater made that journey, that final journey, and he crossed the river. He fought life's final war with pain. Many of you know, Robin and Julie will know that Robin has suffered from poor health for a long time. Life has been a struggle for him for a long time. It's not anymore. He's in the best place he has been for a long time. Do continue to pray for Julie as she's going to face difficult and uncertain days now. Julie texts this morning to say she'd had a good night's sleep. And unsurprisingly, uh, for those of you who know Julie, she is trusting in God's goodness. That's fantastic. But there are going to be difficult and dark days ahead for Julie. So do please continue to pray for her and pray for all the arrangements and the things that are going to have to happen now. Wasn't that a great message from Paul? Wasn't it a tough message too? All of James has been some very hard-hitting and tough messages, but this is God's word. And Paul, I want to thank you for what you brought to us this morning. I want to thank you that it was you bringing it and not me. Um, It's all about our attitude, isn't it? Paul said, let God transform you. Those words from Romans 12. But really, that can sum up the whole of James, can't it? Let God transform you. Now, being God's people isn't about obeying a list of rules and regulations. It's about God changing us. It's not enough just to believe what God tells us in his word. James says, we have to act it out. It's not good enough to be Sunday morning Christians. We need to be Monday morning Christians. Lisa, we're so encouraged by what's going on at your workplace. That's what James would call being a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. What a challenge James brings to each and every one of us. Next week, Chris is going to continue to bring us another challenge from the book of James. If you're wanting to come, I would suggest you leave in good time because I think next week is the Ironman um, race. Unless, of course, you're any of you are going to do the Ironman race. (laughs) 
Perhaps it should be the Iron Person race, I'm not sure. Um, but leave here in good time because there's all sorts of road closures and things going on. You can check out the Iron Man website to find out details of if any roads are going to be closed near you. Uh, but do come next week because what Chris brings will also be good and challenging and tough. But if we're serious about being God's people in the community, we need to take this stuff on board.